I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. Now, I think even for our listeners, too, I think what's important is um, we might be right, we might be wrong, but one thing is we're not afraid. Right. And we have a point of view, and I think that people should hear it. And we're unscripted. We just have free reign for 20 minutes. Welcome to Side Effects with an A. Welcome back to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. So I ask you this every time. Yeah. How are you doing? doing? Doing okay. Barely surviving teaching my kids how to drive, but yeah. doing okay. That's an, that's an experience. It is. Having two kids that are going to be 16 this year. Have you put your, your foot through the floorboard yet? Uh, multiple times. I have almost ripped off those handlebars. Oh, yeah. I don't, what are those attached with? I'm not sure, but they yeah. can hold the grip mm-hmm. of, a, of a desperate woman who thinks the car is barreling into So who's the better driver, the son or the daughter? So this is going to sound stereotypical, but mm-hmm. my son is a better driver yeah. than my daughter, but it's because he's had a lot more practice than my daughter. Because so, he's begged to probably, he's probably asked Since more. he's been little, I mean, he's he's wanted to drive. So we've practiced in parking lots probably for about the last four years. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's okay or not, but that's what we did. And my daughter's really only been practicing for the last few months. So he has a lot more time behind the wheel and experience comfortability with Now, when did they get their license? Um, the April, April. Okay. Yeah. So April, 2018, if you are driving in the streets of Southern Montgomery County, please be cautious. Can you put like one of those like Google dots on top of them? <laughs> I, I actually said I was going to get them one of those bumper stickers that says new, new driver, please be patient. Yeah. And they were like, mom, that's terrible. But I thought it would be helpful. Oh yeah. So, so you've got, uh, you've got twins. I do. So you got to pay yeah. for two of them. To, it's yes, it's a lot yeah. of pain. So your car insurance is going to go, yes, through the roof, right? So Great. we focus in the health insurance space, and um, I need a lot of help in the car insurance Excellent. space. So, so a lot moving on uh, inside of healthcare, yeah, uh, and a lot going on around here. Actually, super busy spring for us. In a couple of days, we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is kind of the evolution of on-site clinics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll kind of unpack all of that. But I think our, to our listeners, so, you know, at least if you're in our region, uh, and I'll say Ohio, mm-hmm. it's not something that's been abundantly progressive in our marketplace in comparison to other parts of the country. Right. So if you scoot on over to our neighbor next door in Indiana, mm-hmm. you'll find on-site and near-site clinics Pretty much everywhere. Over a hundred. Yeah, I mean it's a completely different space over there. They've had a self-funded environment a lot longer than we have here in Ohio. But healthcare is regional. Ideas are regional. Things come at different times. But the idea behind on-site or near-site clinics, um, what we're really talking about is just the evolution of care delivery mm-hmm. and where do people seek services and what makes the most sense in terms of, of dollars and cents and in terms of value. And, and don't you think it's interesting too, from an employee, I mean, you know, if you're General Motors mm-hmm. or if you're carrier air conditioner, I mean, you make money by selling cars and air conditioners, but for some reason, employers have said like, gosh, like I gotta try a different way. Right. Because in Indianapolis, one of the reasons why it's kind of caught on like grass fire is the cost of care in Indianapolis is one of the highest in the United States. Right. And employers have kind of said, there's there's got to be a different way. Time out. Yeah. It brings brings that control Mm -hmm. back. It brings control. And so when you talk about what are some of the reasons that an employer would think about bringing care to their workforce 
on site or even near site, which we'll unpack the difference between the two of those as we talk. They have today. a far site. They have a. <laughs> it's another. That's another podcast on gotcha. vision. Okay. Um, but when you think about why they would bring a clinic there, right? What kinds of services are they going to offer? Um, but the primary motivator is to reduce cost. In most cases, mm -hmm. that's what they're looking for: to exercise some control and to reduce costs. Well, I think part of it too is. A lot of organizations want to address a risk, mm -hmm. and then they've asked a health system, and I'm not talking about a specific health system. I'm talking about health providers like insurance companies, a physician's office, right. or, a, or a hospital system, help me with this, uh, and they're frustrated. Right. It's like, you know, look, last time I checked, I do this really well. I, I guess I'm going to step into this area. Right because biometrics are important to me, mm -hmm. uh, because preventative services are important to me, because increasing productivity in my workforce is important to me. Right. And I wanna invest and I wanna see, can I do this better than a health system that's in my backyard? Right. Interesting. Right, yeah, so when you look at this, that um, you know, just looking at the objectives for most employers, um, almost in the order that Scott said them, controlling health, total healthcare spend, reducing lost employee productivity, um, enhancing your health and wellness program. So if you've got a program and you've outsourced that today or you're using um, a local provider to deliver that off-site or through you know, telephonic coaching, you could enhance that by having mm -hmm. something on-site. Um, managing chronic conditions um, for your workforce. Um, improving member access to healthcare. Again, we'll talk about access. It seems like it shouldn't be a problem, but it continues to be an issue with primary care and um, primary care relationships in terms of which ones are actually doing pay per value, which ones are just providing ill care services. Excellent point. Um, better quality and consistency. So if you think about if your workforce is going out and visiting, you know, perhaps hundreds of different primary care physicians versus receiving care from the same clinical team all the time, mm -hmm. that consistency starts to provide something that you don't otherwise have. Um, and it can go on and on. So there's, I mean, we can get 20, 20 down. Um, deep here on reasons why an employer would consider it, but those are the top reasons. So when you talk about on-site, near-site, what's, for our listeners, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, sure. So an on-site clinic would be something that you actually provide on one of your own facilities, your plants, or one of your local own buildings. It's, it can be a very small amount of space, maybe 400, 500 square feet, up to 2,000 square feet, but it would be for your workforce, right? A near-site clinic would be a number of employers in a particular geography um, perhaps working together to put a clinic in a common location where employees from multiple organizations could potentially use that clinic. So if I had um, you know, a tool and die organization that had 150 employees, I mean realistically it doesn't support funding an entire clinic. So maybe right. I bring three or four employers, five employers, and you take Tuesdays, I'll take Wednesdays, right. or I'll take a bank of hours. Right, yeah. So it's, it definitely can, um, can make the economics of the idea of doing that work. Um, whereas before it was really those large employers that could offer it, 5,000 or more employees that were offering Yeah, and I think there are a lot of studies have said that employers that have over 5,000 employees, 30% of them um, have this clinic strategy. And actually, in our event in a couple of weeks, we'll mm -hmm. talk about how we deployed that strategy uh, in our hometown of Dayton, Ohio, with um, a wonderful co customer, the city of Dayton, and yep. what that entire transaction looks like, including taking a number of people uh, in, uh, on a bus to that clinic 
and then having the, the uh, folks at HealthStack kind of talk about what does that look like, what does this transaction um, yeah. look like. It's not a metaphorical bus. We're actually taking a bus to a real bus. the event. Yeah, sometimes we talk about who's on the bus. This is a real bus. Yeah, and I bus. think for our listeners, too, when we talk about you know, on-site clinics, near-site clinics, what, what we're talking about is, for the most part, primary care services. Yeah, and so I think that's historically been what what it's been intended to do, right? So things like bringing a primary care um, doctor on site so that people can can get normal episodic care, um, screening. So if you're doing health and wellness screenings, those can be done there. Immunization, so things like flu shots. Um, this is also oftentimes opened up to the whole family of the workforce, so not just the employee. Um, although some clinics are just focused on the employee health, but many of them open it up to the families um, of the workforce. So uh, providing things like urgent care. So I've got a cut, I've got mm -hmm. a nick, I've got something minor, I've got a fever, um, and even sometimes occupational health, so workplace injuries. Some x-ray. Yeah, so those are the typical. And, and potentially some pharmacy services. So let's talk about that because about half of the clinics out there offer pharmacy services. Where the real opportunity comes into play in some of these clinics, and I think this is just beginning to be explored, is really in looking at specialty pharmacy mm -hmm. administration. So that can be a very expensive Injectables. thing. Right. And we talk about, you know, we, we believe in 2018, it very well could probably specialty medications might be one and a half to two percent of all the prescriptions. Filled, right. Filled, mm -hmm. but 50% of your health care costs. Right. And pressure on that is really important. So not only is it maybe might be administered in an right. outside clinic, but let's hope that what we can pick up is patient adherence and compliance right. and education. Right. Some of the other things, too, um, some really big opportunities would be um, behavioral health and mental health. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, getting people to seek that type of care at a clinic at their work, work site, um, you know, certainly there's some challenges in terms of adoption. But those are the places where the biggest opportunities lie in terms of driving down costs. Um, although we're still gonna we're still gonna see it being used um, in this primary care model for, yeah. for the foreseeable future. Because a lot of the folks, at least initially, the employees that might use an on on site clinic, for the most part, what we've read uh, and what we've experienced, mm -hmm. they don't have a relationship with a primary care physician. Right. Which, in our opinion. Um, if there's one priority that we can have in this country, in our communities, and the people that we serve, it's driving people to a relationship with a primary care physician, hopefully one that understands paper value and understands the metrics uh, of risk mitigation uh, and how they address the biometrics of their patient load. How are they creating a healthier consumer? Mm -hmm. And this isn't really meant to replace someone's primary care physician if they have a primary mm -hmm. care physician. However, you can bring a direct primary care physician relationship to your clinic. Right. So in addition to offering acute care um, and, and even chronic care, right, um, for chronic conditions where there's a big opportunity, you might want to do that through a direct primary care relationship. So working with a local provider to provide the services through the clinic. And right? access for your spouse. Right. And potentially even access to, um, to children. I think one of the misnomers or one of the fears from employees that have experienced this is, um, number one, why is my employer doing this? Right. Um, number two, what, what are they getting me to try to do? Number three is, what are they doing with this information? Right. That's the biggest question, I think. 
I do. And yeah. I and I, it poses some doubt inside of people because most people, unfortunately, for the most part, are somewhat skeptical. Or maybe even their organization forces them to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. That's probably super so honest. So culturally, mm-hmm. it's, culturally, it's really important to build um, build awareness around it before you just go plop in a clinic. But I know, like, even for our, our customers, especially those that are self-funded, we might have a strategy in regards to... Uh, diabetic non-compliant, mm-hmm. uh, asthmatics that are that are not compliant, uh, biometric screening results, siloing on those, making sure that we can address disease um, issues inside the workforce. But having a clinic where we can go have a conversation with that um, workforce that's managing that clinic, mm-hmm. telling us what's important to us, um, is just a lot easier than trying to deal with a healthcare system in a region. Right, the ease and the convenience of it. Um, there's multiple ways that the clinic can be organized, and um, you know the the, the way that um, that we're talking about in terms of setting up a clinic is really you know where you work with an outside vendor. They come in, set up the clinic. It's a turnkey process, and the employees, the physicians, and the clinicians of the clinic are employees of the clinic company, right? These are not employed by the employer. Certainly an employer could set up a clinic and hire and employ physicians and, and you know nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. It's not the way that most employers are doing that today. Or you could set up a clinic in your space and contract with a local hospital or a local doc practice to, to run that. Yeah, what's so, interesting in that whole transaction is one of the customers that we've looked at basically spent you know, a million dollars in primary care uh, for a certain uh, segment of the populations. They said, well, why would I want to open a clinic? Right. I mean, number one, um, you don't have to go build it. You don't have to hire the people. And then for an employer's benefit, too, is there's a way to release the fiduciary responsibility Mm -hmm. of this transaction. Um, There's a number of organizations and just looking at, so HealthStat, which we're bringing in here in a couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. Um, basically has 300 facilities across the United States today. Uh, we have another organization that, that is a merger of Walgreens, Take Care Employer Solutions, 500 on-site clinics across the United States. And then Sussex uh, runs more than 100 clinics in 20 states. So there are a lot of entities that do this for employers. Right, and they, they, they know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they do it well. You know, you said something just a minute ago that sent me into a million directions in my head, but one of it was around data um, and understanding your data and knowing what you're insuring. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something about how much was spent on primary care visits and really looking at that as a percent of the total spend and saying, why would I want to invest in this, right? And I think as employers think about this in their mind and they look at the numbers on, on the paper, um, you want to spend more on primary care. And so when most people look at insurance and insurance costs, they look at each line item and they say, I want this to go down. I want it to go down in every single space. But we, we don't want to try to take that primary care physician line and reduce it. If anything, we want to take that primary care physician line item and increase it. Because if you know about healthcare and if you believe that the primary care physician is the correct person to drive care mm-hmm. for the American mm-hmm. population, then we would want to spend more money getting the correct primary care because eventually that will lead to lower costs. And it should reduce what we, what's, what's being called healthcare waste, which they're basically just saying is low-value healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Out of 800, actually, it's not funny. I was so like, it's not funny. I know. It's 800 billion of waste. Yeah. Now, half of that, is 
physicians or healthcare professionals doing the wrong thing. Right. Just, I did the wrong thing. The other half is a physician or a healthcare system making a decision to do something and they don't have the competence or the knowledge to pull that off. Right. Uh, and when you think of $800 billion of spend and half of it is based on competence or expertise, mm-hmm. it's a big problem. Right. And we spend a lot of time talking to um, primary care physicians and primary care practices um, in this space and, and around around the country. And, I mean, as I sit here today, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm as educated as, as as most folks, if not more, in terms of health care and how to purchase it. And it's what I do for a living. Um, but I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So I'm not the best person to direct my own care. Um, my neighbor isn't the best person to direct my own care. And really, probably the internet is not the mm-hmm. best place for me to direct my care, even though that's where I'll go look, right? It's my, my primary care physician. But if I can't talk to that person on the phone um, or get in to see them in a time in which I want to do that, um, maybe I am going to go to one mm-hmm. of those resources. And now we've created, again, this spiral of waste in the system because I can walk in and get a test that, that you know, that I want to get because we have an open care system. Well, it's a massive convenience item right. for the workforce. Mm-hmm. I right. think from an employer standpoint, uh, workforce, what they're, what they're hopefully trying to um, reduce is absenteeism right. and this whole element of presenteeism. Yeah. So as we look at that in, inside of a workforce, because as an employer, you're going to spend X on health care. So if we could show you a different way to spend X and maybe turn that into Y, and then to start to deploy some of the strategies that you want to deploy internally right? with the ears of people that you're paying, and the last time I checked, uh, they're probably paying greater attention to what the initiatives are. Uh, and I think every employer out there, everybody that we talk to about this, it's a big lift. Yeah, it is a big lift. It's not new, though. I mean, I think you're hearing a lot of news about it. There's a lot of traction about it in the, out there in the marketplace because it's available now to smaller employers. Um, the 18th um, meeting, the 18th Congress on, on on healthcare clinics was just held. I think I might have mentioned that when we started out. 18th. They've been meeting for 18 years to talk about healthcare clinics. So that just took place in January of this year. Um, again, bringing care to a workforce isn't new. They did it in the 20s when they brought, you know, doctors mm-hmm. in to care for the people who worked in the mines. Um, it's, and the U.S. Steel had a hospital in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, it's not new. It's just a new way to deliver it, and it's become more affordable. It's become more, I think, accepted. Um, before you jump into that, you're going to want to understand, you know, what your population is. Are you a good fit? Um, and what are you trying to do, right? So, you know, higher than usual percentage of older employees, um, employees located in one place, uh, high emergency department usage. These are low-hanging fruit items, um, higher than anticipated absences due to medical reasons. Those are all low-hanging fruit. I think what's also interesting is we just kind of like wrap up this conversation is... Not unpack it. Not We're unpack gonna it. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. First, we're going to unpack it. We've already <laughs> unpacked it. But what's interesting is, um, let's face it, health systems and providers are torqued when you talk about this. Well, right, because they feel mm-hmm. threatened and it's competition. However, I, in, in our opinion, it's a new opportunity to have a conversation with the health systems mm-hmm. and providers. Yeah. In other words, what, what kind of momentum would you, would you drive into employers to where they wouldn't, they wouldn't even be curious about this transaction? Right. So instead of maybe complaining, um, potentially what we might do is we might might bring health systems and providers closer to the real payer of healthcare, right? Which is employers and their employees. That's right. So join us. We'll update you in regards to our session in a couple of weeks. 
as well as on our blog on healthierbirthdays.com. Good luck with your uh, children. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully I'll be back for another episode of Side Effects. Yes, I, I think you will be. You have, you're a great mom. Thanks. And you have amazing kids. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side, Side Effects. Effects.